0: The thing that Lobachevsky points out is that, on top of all that, psychopaths feel like victims, that there is a, a victimhood at the, at the bottom of their activity in political endeavors. Today on Mind Matters, we're going to be talking about this paper published in the journal Helion? Helion by uh, Jordan Moss and Peter J. O'Connor, just came out. In fact, this PDF says that the paper was received on August 29th, 2019, and accepted on July 10th, 2020. So, a recent paper, titled, The Dark Triad Traits Predict Authoritarian Political Correctness and Alt-Right Attitudes. This uh, caught our attention when we first... Saw news of it because, as viewers of this channel might know, um, one of our favorite books that we like to talk about is Political Ponerology by Andrew Lobachevsky. And that is a book on totalitarian political systems and the psychology behind them. Now, there has been a lot of research on the kind of like psychology of political beliefs and political systems, but as the authors of this paper point out, most of those studies have been on what you might call um, mainstream political beliefs. So, for instance, there is the kind of by now well-known correlations between uh, the Big Five personality test and mainstream left and right views. So the biggest predictor from the Big Five for a liberal attitude will be openness, openness to experience, and the biggest for a conservative viewpoint will be conscientiousness kind of hard work and getting things done and but there hasn't been very much research done at all into extreme beliefs extreme political beliefs and viewpoints um in this paper it's a short paper i mean it's only essentially three pages so and it's you can find it for free online it's open access um but one of the things that these guys point out is that, that they they summarize the research that has been done. And like like I said, most of the politi- most of the mainstream political stuff has been just kind of main basic personality structure with a few studies on some aspects that get into the more kind of shady and dark elements of political beliefs. For instance, uh, Bob Altemeyer and others have done work on right-wing authoritarianism. There's been some Research lately on so-called left-wing authoritarianism still kind of um, murky, and only one or two other studies that have that have looked at specifically these dark triad traits in relation to politics. So there was one study, for instance, that found a link between um, let's see, a link between I'll go from memory, um, psychopathy and conservatism, conservatism sorry, and that's kind of like the only the only paper that's really looked at it in these terms, and even then they point out um, the, the limits of that study. This one gets a lot more specific, and then they look at three kind of new emerging political beliefs that only really have come about um, in the last ten years or so. So they divide them up into politically correct authoritarianism, politically correct liberalism, and white identitarianism as a subset of the alt-right. And as they point out, these are new emerging or emergent phenomena. A Google search of the kind of standard um, PC, PCA or PC authoritarian words like microaggressions, trigger warnings, social justice warriors, or... Alt right and the specific alt right beliefs, you can't really find them on the internet, for instance, in a Google search before 2010. It's only been in these last 10 years that they've really come to prominence. So, this is the first real study to take a look at what might be the kind of predictors or features of what, you know, what describes the people holding those beliefs. And so, they did this study using the or comparing basically a, a survey of around five hundred and eleven people and testing their beliefs according to these uh, these these three political mindsets and then correlating that or seeing what the correlations are with the with the dark triad now if anyone's not familiar with the dark triad, these are psychopathy, narcissism, and Machiavellianism, and there are kind of these self test questionnaires that, uh, that you can do that psychologists have developed to test whether or not a person has these traits. And so remarkably um, for tests that are testing something that's so kind of socially unacceptable, you manage to get pretty honest results most of the time. So these seem to be fairly reliable and valid tests. Now, how how valid and how reliable? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a clinical psychologist or a statistical psychologist, whatever they might be called. So I don't know the statistics. Like when I get to the the, the sections here on the, the correlation, like coefficients and all that, I really have no idea what they're talking about. So to a certain extent, I just have to take them at their word um, that what they're saying is uh, significant. So with that grain of salt in mind, they do find correlations with between these three dark triad personality structures or personality traits and certain of these new emerging political belief systems or belief sets. Well, Harrison,
1: um, maybe, uh, maybe just a quick kind of outline of uh, what the dark triad consists of, uh, just to flesh it out and remind folks listening uh, what they are. Uh, The first, narcissism, characterized by grandiosity, pride, egotism, and a lack of empathy. Machiavellianism, characterized by manipulation and exploitation of others, an absence of morality, unemotional callousness, and a higher level of self-interest. Psychopathy is characterized by continuous antisocial behavior, impulsivity, selfishness, callous and unemotional traits, and remorselessness. So um, I think just to keep in mind uh, th- th- those specifics and how they show up uh, in, in these individual extreme positions of both left and right um, is a helpful way to, to look at it when we're reading the news, uh, when we're uh, seeing events happening everywhere, and we can identify these, these very traits in the people who are acting out or uh, exemplifying these traits. We can kind of see where all of this is going and why, in fact, uh, the, the dark triad uh, prominence in the types that we're going to describe today um, is so prominent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, one thing I forgot
0: to mention, it wasn't just the dark triad. It was also an entitlement um, survey or questionnaire Mm -hmm. so and entitlement is uh or can be a trait of narcissism but it seems you know again based on just what i what i am able to read about these surveys seems probably to to be to not like if you were to measure a whole bunch of people on the with this narcissism test with this dark triad test it might it it wouldn't be a perfect correlation with the entitlement test, so it seems to me probably that the entitlement test is uh measuring something slightly different or you know something that might just overlap with um, with narcissism but what they found again, like I said, were some significant correlations um before I get to those before I you know get to the 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 shocking results of this study um I just want to look at a few of the things that stood out for me in this paper, uh, first in the introduction. So <clears throat> first, just a different uh, a, a, a description of the difference between political correctness, authoritarianism, and political correctness, liberalism. Um, they, for the purpose of this paper, define collect- political correctness as a set of related attitudes characterized by the desire to af- avoid offense and avoid disadvantaging certain groups in society. Now, the, the liberal version of this, so not the authoritarian one, argues for the, removable, for the removal of ostensible social and emotional barriers of disadvantaged peoples, <coughs> whereas the authoritarians... Um, are primarily concerned with physical and psychological safety. And a core aspect of politically correct authoritarianism is a belief that aggression and force are appropriate methods to achieve these ideological goals. And um, white identitarianism, I mean, everyone's heard of the alt-right you know, for the past four years. I don't think we really need to get into that. Um, basically, it is what you... Think it is, and if you need a bigger description, then uh, read the paper. Um, the one point that they make, you know, in in defense of why they're conducting this study in the first place, is that the traditional Big Five personality predictors don't account for these beliefs. So they factor that in to see, okay, well, is there a personality predictor that will, uh, from the Big Five, that will predict like. PCA, PCL, or white, ident- white identitarianism. Um, the answer, according to these guys, is no, that is not the case. What they did find, uh, one other previous study demonstrated that um, the one part I mentioned was that there was a positive correlation between mainstream conservatism and psychopathy, and another that found that Machiavellianism was negatively related to liberalism. Um, seems to make sense in a kind of intuitive way. I mean, that's probably what I would have predicted. And one more thing from the introduction. I'll just read this out. So this is when, in the last paragraph, we hypothesize that dark triad traits and trait entitlement will positively predict white identitarianism and politically correctness authoritarianism. Although thought to reflect, reflect values situated at opposite ends of the political spectrum, both are characterized by aggression and belief that some form of violence and/or intimidation is acceptable in certain circumstances. So they do the test, you know, find their people, like whittle it down, um, account for age, gender, education, ethnicity, big five, all that kind of stuff. And that leads to the results. Basically psychopathy or the overall dark triad, you know, they found what they expected to find Dark Triad was associated with both politically correct authoritarianism and white identitarianism, but not with politically correct liberalism. Now, this kind of makes sense um but we we'll get into the details of why it's uh well, why I think it's such an insidious phenomenon because i I'll, I'll yeah, well, does anyone want to say anything before I get into why this is uh so insidious?
2: Well, no, maybe <laughs> um, I did kind of wanna just uh talk a little bit more about the difference between the politically correct liberalism and the uh politically correct authoritarian sure. just using two different uh questions that try and isolate these the different beliefs of these t- this these two subsets of the political correctness uh, movement. And so the the liberal uh, belief is that there are no biologically based differences in personality, talent, and ability to reason between racial groups, which is you know that's a very liberal uh, belief. It's a reason why researchers who research you know these biologically based differences kind of get are subject to cancel culture but it's, uh, it's a compassionate belief. It's mm-hmm. one that wants, you know, egalitarian society. But the politically correct authoritarian belief is that when a charge of sexual assault is brought forth, the alleged perpetrator should have to prove his or her innocence. And this is where you start to see the, um, the desire to, um, to, the warping of our, you know, the legal system and the idea that you're uh, innocent into, until proven guilty for the purposes of whatever, just crushing opponents and and what have you. But it's interesting because in the paper, there's a, you know there's this idea that compassion kind of frames the entire politically correct movement. That um, he also cites another paper in 2015 that details the entire history of the you know well not the entire history of the of the movement, but back to the you know, the early 20th century, especially with Lenin and the, you know, the rise of this, the the thought police, you know, and the, the thought crimes and how there was, it was widely seen both in, you know, Maoist China and in the Soviet Union, that if you could force people to think in a, a certain way, using language. If you could force them to only use the right language, then you would force them to think in the right language, and then you would thereby change their habits and their behavior, and you would mold them into something that you could be that was more easily controllable. And you know that doesn't sound very compassionate to me. So I think that there is a split there that the politically correct liberal, um, for uh, for whatever reason, I mean, they believe these things. They you know they. They're very nice. Um, they, I personally probably believe them um, myself that there are no biologically, you know, based differences and in, in between races in the sense that um, would make them less valuable. That anybody is inherently less valuable of a human being um, because of their race or ethnicity. I have that that belief, um, but then uh, there is that seems to be of a different genus or a different species. Of from this other this other movement, maybe that will mm. can can kind of um, lead into or segue into yeah. why you think it's so insidious. Yeah,
0: exactly. That leads in perfectly because in the discussion section, I'll read one sentence. Um, Psychopathy, which is characterized by a lack of empathy and antisocial behavior, was a sta- was a strong dark trait predictor of all political attitudes. So that's all three. But here's where it gets interesting. It is. Uh, it possibly it positively predicted white identitarianism and politically correct authoritarianism and negatively predicted politically correct liberalism and machiavellianism was the strongest unique predictor of white identi- white identitarianism but it's not clear why and i'll just finish off this paragraph while narcissism had significant correlations with both Um, white identitarianism and politically correct authoritarianism, it tended to have small and non-significant effects when controlling for entitlement. Indeed, entitlement was a moderate, unique predictor of both white identitarianism and politically correct authoritarianism, and the strongest predictor of politically correct authoritarianism. So to get into that a bit, psychopathy predicted all three, but in different ways. So there was a positive correlation between psychopathy and politically correct authoritarianism and white identitarianism what this kind of shows is that the and this is how the article has been framed in the kind of news outlets that have covered it that the far right and the far left fart <laughs> oh, that was a freudian slip there far right and the far left have more in common than they you know than it would appear on the on the surface of things that they and and uh, one article by uh Zaid Jilani on Quillette pointed out, mm-hmm. um, where do I have it here? How did he put it? That both, both hard left and hard right seem disproportionately populated by individuals who are impelled to control others' behavior and draw attention to themselves. He mm-hmm. also wrote that, um, he quoted Rolling Stone's Matt Tybee um, as declaring that the left is now the right, when it comes to smothering cultural and intellectual pluralism. So you see, this is why the anti-SJWs come out and say, oh, well, the anti-fascists are the real fascists, and the anti-fascists deny it and say, no, we're anti-fascists, that means we can't by definition be fascists. It's because, well, they that might be a technically true um, statement on the face of it, just using like the the surface definition of words, but when it comes down to their actual personality structure and what they actually do, they do have more in common with fascists than their opponents do, or some of their opponents. The opponents that are anywhere, you know, to the left of, you know, the white is white identitarians. So anything anyone in the kind of mainstream conservative or the or the center or even the liberal left. Basically for the for anti fascists, anyone to the right of them, so anyone to the right of like, you know, Mao or Lenin is uh, a white identitarian fascist. Mm-hmm. And they're the only ones that aren't. But actually, they have more in common with the far right than they think, or that people are are willing to admit. And the but the other interesting thing in this is that psychopathy is negatively correlated with politically correct liberalism. Mm-hmm. So this gets into what you were saying, Corey, about the liberal beliefs and even the ones and um, like just I haven't looked into all of the features that they associate with politically correct liberalism, but um. But I get the impression it isn't this, that political mindset or set of beliefs isn't strictly kind of mainstream liberalism. Well, it's becoming more mainstream as it you know, as things progress in our society, but it is still a pretty extreme set of ideas. Um, This is what a lot of the kind of conservative commentators point out when they're showing how how silly they think the left is for, for these beliefs. Um, without even getting into the the really extreme kind of violent beliefs so it's still politically correct um, it's still a, it's still a politically correct set of beliefs that a lot of even people in the center would disagree with but like you said they are founded in basically compassion however misguided critics might think that those uh, or that some of those beliefs are when based on compassion so what you have is a movement Of um, based on a set of beliefs that is grounded in a a compassion based um, relatively basically grounded in a mainstream liberal mentality with a slightly more radical set of beliefs or a, a more slightly more radical belief structure this is kind of on the just a traditional mainstream left of people who aren't psycholo- psychologically aberrant in any way they're just normal people normal kind of compassionate lefties who have adopted this set of politically correct beliefs but what you have is now you have these two groups two groups that are very close to each other ideologically the politically correct liberals who are not psychopaths you know don't have very much psychopath in fact negatively associated with psychopathy. So you find this group that's actually um, almost antithetical to a psychopathic worldview and mindset and and behaviors, closely associated with a group that will agree with most of those statements on the base level and then add on their own more extreme, more radical versions where they um, will add on like the, the violence and the um, the kind of overturning of legal structures and legal norms mm-hmm. and uh, the way we actually run our society. <clears throat> so this is why um, I think this is the insidious nature of it, and it's the same reason why um, Mao's revolution in China and the the Soviet, the Bolshevik revolution in Russia, were so dangerous, is because you had a belief system, a belief structure, a political system, a political structure, uh, political ideology that was geared towards the compassionate, um, progressive segment of humanity, those who see that there's something wrong in the world, um, whether those problems are real or exaggerated or, or not even real in the first place, that doesn't really matter when you're looking at it at this level of analysis. These are the people that actually basically care and want things to change. And there is a basically a radical, uh, a radical wing of that party that is, that may believe, that may agree on the surface with those, like political statements or beliefs or or wishes, but have um, methods and means and goals that are totally antithetical to that vision. Basically, it is the psychopath in the midst um, of this group. It is the wolf in sheep's clothing, and so that's why, in if you look at the uh, at the at any of the, the communist revolutions, any of the socialist revolutions. You see the same dynamic play out, where you have these hardcore, true believers in socialism or communism that really, that really, if like, have the best of intentions, and those best of intentions, you know, it leads them to engage in this revolution that absolutely destroys the society that they that they were in, and creates something that uh, creates a nightmare that even they um, come to abhor and to. Um, to fight against, and then they are essentially purged and eliminated from the revolutionary group. This is what you had happen in in Russia, this is what you had happen in China, where the original true believers, those wide-eyed idealists who espoused these political ideologies, they are then sidelined and uh, gotten rid of in one way or another because they weren't radical enough. So by the time you have like by the time you get into um, you know Stalin's rule in in the Soviet Union or even slight, or even before then there had been purges and you get to the point where you get the the real true communists who are just totally disdainful of the of the system as it exists now because it's not real communism because mm-hmm. that's not what we were actually all about when and you can see where they're coming from because it did it doesn't. It doesn't turn out to be anything like their visions of what the utopia should be. Mm. it It turns out to be a total nightmare. And it turns the original people uh, the original supporters against what it has become. So with that in mind, I mean, if you just have that little bit of history, if you look at at what this paper is saying, and if you look at the dynamics of the the politically correct left, you can kind of project into the future how this would play out if, um, if things were allowed to kind of go in that direction. So imagine you have this kind of politically correct revolution in the United States. Well, it's going to be the the politically correct liberals, the, the people that, that believe in all these, uh, politically correct ideas that are going to be the ones, um, just as, just as like, you know, oppressed by the system as their political enemies today, the people they would identify as their political enemies, they will become the the enemies of the politically correct authoritarians. And then in that politically authoritarian group, you have this process which just progressively, no pun intended, um, refines this politically correct elite to the point where all of the, all of the slightly moderate members get um, sidelined and otherwise disposed of. And you get you get this kind of um, refined. What's the what's a better word for for refined? Like like a chemical a chemical word. Where, well,
1: distilled out. Yeah, or?
0: distilled. That's the one. That's the one. You get this distilled group of like the the most radical, the most extreme, the the harshest, the ones with the least amount of conscience, the most conscience, the most psychopathic. This is what played out in the the great leap forward in in Mao's China, where they the from the top came these absolutely impossible quotas and goals for production, like production of grain or production of steel. And they were so impossible that the the people on the bottom, like the actual workers couldn't possibly, couldn't possibly produce what they were expected to produce, but they had to. So what you had was a lot, there was a lot of fudging of the numbers going on saying that they produced more than they could. And as, as, <laughs> as they couldn't, or as they didn't meet their targets, there was just this progressive um, purging of all these elements. Like several times over those like four years, um, where the the people that couldn't get the job done were removed, and they were then they were replaced by people who were even harder, even harsher, even more psychopathic. Like these, so these, so they were basically replaced by like absolute like maniacal slave masters who um, who tried their hardest to to make sure these. These impossible goals got met, but it's it was a, a complete recipe for disaster because this is the, the, like the conclusion I've come to from just reading this account of the of the um, you know the great famine the great leap forward is that this is the perfect recipe for um, for producing a kind of politically correct authoritarianism or a or on the right whatever you would call it on the right. It doesn't have to be white identitarianism, but just a a far right version is that you, at least one method, is to create an impossible set of demands that comes from the top. Because, and to have that person at the top, like in this case Mao Zedong, like a total egotist. Not necessarily, I don't think even necessarily that Mao Zedong was a psychopath, I just think he was a total egotist. He couldn't, he couldn't admit to being wrong. And even when he was wrong, he would then blame someone else or come up with an excuse of, of how he wasn't really wrong, but he was actually right, even though there was this evidence that he, would, he was actually wrong. It was this mental gymnastics that he was able to go through in order to to always be right, and his plans had always been right, even when confronted with like facts from his own party and from his own supporters that things weren't working out. He always had an excuse. When you have a person like that in charge, whether it's Stalin or Mao, and when you have these impossible goals, then that process that's going on all down the food chain, the only way that it can that it can progress is exactly how it did, where the the more moderate people are removed and sidelined. So the people that actually see that this isn't working, there are problems here, they try to tell the people above them, and where's that gonna go? Well, we have our we have our goals, we have our quotas, you have to meet them. And then, when they, if they persist and they actually, and their voices actually heard, what actually ended up happening is that the people at the top, Mao and his strongest supporters, who would always um, like tell him he's right and acknowledge that he was right, well, then what? How do you reconcile the two? How do you reconcile the fact that Mao is right and that there is this great production and this great capability, and everyone else is producing right because all the numbers that they're sending, sending us, say that they're producing way ahead of what of what we even expected. What do you do with this guy, or what do you conclude about this guy who's saying, oh, we can't just do it. It's, it's impossible. Well, he was a counter-revolutionary. He was a rightist. He was a, um, like a, an enemy of the, the revolution trying to sabotage the, the Great Leap Forward. So that guy gets eliminated. Everyone like him gets eliminated. Every, everyone out him gets taken out of the chain of command to the point where all you have are yes men, and the people willing to enforce that yes man attitude and enforce those impossible quotas, which just makes life miserable for everyone underneath. And and a lot of the times Mao wasn't even aware of what was going on. He did become aware of it, um, you know, eventually. And that's when he blamed all he, he, he when he when when one of his top guys that he really trusted finally. Um, like did his own investigation and found out all this stuff was true. That people are starving all over the place. No one has food. No one has shelter. No one has clothes. In, in you know in in the province that this guy lived in and, and came from. Finally Mao listened to him and said, Oh wow, there is a problem. And that's when he blamed it all on kind of counter-revolutionaries he's like oh i can't believe that the the petty bourgeoisie managed to take power again how did they manage to infiltrate the party well it was his it was they were they were following his goals they weren't bourgeois that had infiltrated the communist party they were who they'd always been like you know idealistic supporters of the of the revolution just trying to meet the impossible goals but they got labeled as such um yeah, well, so just total insanity.
1: Yeah, total insanity and uh something to some great degree I think that we can see unfolding in the US right now with uh this kind of um radical uh political leftist movement towards um equality and uh via COVID-19 policies and um yeah. and just uh just this this political movement that exists in its own echo chamber, that has plans for everything green, that refuses to look at the studies and the, and the history and the thinking that proves that many of their policies simply do not work, will not work, uh, are leading the U.S. towards disaster. And yet, they are absolutely adamant that they're correct, that they're taking the high ground, and in the meantime, uh, we have a, a slow motion disaster in our, in our major cities, uh, in I think what's going to happen when the economy ultimately crashes and things are, are reset to take a more uh, green uh, point of view, so to say, uh, by people who are in positions of power. And, and so we're seeing that to some great extent unfold before our eyes, Uh, But there's another phenomenon here that isn't discussed in the paper, and that is the fact that I think that when you have these radical left, uh, politically correct, authoritarian types uh, increasing in their power, in their vehemence, in their actions, in their behaviors, uh, it, it has a tendency of causing in those who are on the right or closer to the far right their own reactionary tendencies and their own uh, uh, um, movement towards their authoritarian thinking and their radical sensibilities where they might otherwise be left to a more mainstream point of view. So there there are these forces on either side of the spectrum that are acting on one another and reacting to one another that only sort of exacerbates uh this incredible divide that we're seeing in the U S right now, that really threatens to become something that we haven't seen in the U S for the last 135 years. I'm talking about the civil war, although this will take on very different uh, dimensions, I think. So that that's what we're seeing here. Uh, As, as far as the, um, the, the uh, the pathology of, of both of these respective sides it really is as though you have a certain number of um spellbinders in each camp particularly in what we've been seeing with the politically correct authoritarians who 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 are riling things up to such a degree like you were saying harrison they're they're they are unwittingly supported by the politically correct liberals who otherwise have a more compassionate point of view and who if if they understood pathology, if they understood the dynamics at work here of, of polarisation, would want absolutely nothing to do with uh, where all of that is going. And I think, uh, I think a good deal of people who are more mainstream liberal do see these actions on the far left and are responding and are saying certain things. And if, you know, if they have a, a fair, healthy uh, psychological state of mind, uh, but they really do have to work at, I think, just dis- you know, making the distinction between what they believe, what they're willing to do to see their their beliefs and their morals implemented in society, and what they're seeing those on the far left doing. Um I did also want to get back to uh what you'd read from Zaid Jalani's Colette article. Uh what you had mentioned was, and I'm quoting, and the results reinforce the social sense that many of us get from our most ideologically intolerant coworkers and social media contacts. Notwithstanding their diametrically opposed political postures, both hard left and right seem disproportionately populated by individuals who are impelled to control others' behavior and draw attention to themselves. And that that was really, that was the, the crux of, I think, one very good way of identifying how this dark triad manifests in these uh, very radicalized forms of the left and the right. They want to control the way you think and what you say. Uh, there was also a recent study that, um, also about the dark triad, coincidentally, uh, this is from an article by Elizabeth Nolan Brown in Reason. Um, so it would seem that a lot of social scientists and psychologists are are becoming acutely aware of of the phenomenon we d- we're discussing today because it's more than one paper. So she writes, new study links virtue signaling to dark triad traits. Being accused of, quote, virtue signaling might sound nice to the uninitiated, but spend Much time on social media, and you know that it's actually an accusation of insincerity. Virtue signalers are, essentially, phonies and show-offs. Folks who adopt opinions and postures solely to garner praise and sympathy, or whose good deeds are tainted by their need for everyone to see just how good they are. Combined with a culture that says only victimhood confers a right to comment on certain issues— It's a big factor in online pylons and one that certainly contributes to social media platforms being such a bummer sometimes. So here's some fun you looking at, quote, The Consequences and Predictors of Emitting Signals of Victimhood and Virtue, published, and that's the name of the, the study, published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. The paper from University of British Columbia researchers Ikan Oki, Kian, Brendan Stretchik, and Carl Aquino details multiple studies <clears throat> the authors conducted on the subject. Their conclusion, psychopathic, manipulative, and narcissistic people are more frequent sig- signalers of virtuous victimhood. So that's something to, to keep in mind uh, whenever we see Alyssa Milano or any number of... Um, of celebrities or people in the public eye or people have, who have a large following doing all of this virtue signaling. And I'm not saying that that uh, Miss Milano is necessarily a psychopath. What I am saying is that uh, she and many others have been pathologized into believing that they are somehow good or better than many or most by, by making these statements and these pronouncements when in fact they're they're acting in very self-serving ways and, and are doing an injustice, uh, a social injustice to the people that they're claiming to, wow, <laughs> their you know, their constituency, the so-called liberals.
2: Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's really interesting because you're talking about, you know, victimhood status and how everything seems to you know, It comes back to this idea that everybody's a victim of something. And, and you know, it just makes me think of like the what moral trigger is being triggered by this, you know victim. And I think about um I think I can't remember what i I read, but uh, it was some research article talking about your know, children, you know, that children are basically the ultimate victims. that a, ch- a child is the victim of everything. It has no power, and like you're you know your this the way that a lot of these um these individuals uh, see every other human being is as a child. Um, that everyone is basically a helpless infant. And, you know, I think I think we did a show on the Internet generation and the effects that iPhones, tablets, screens, the constant, you know, drug addiction. I mean, you ask any parent trying to raise children these days, it's like, you know, these tablets are like crack cocaine. You try and take them away from a kid, and they're going to have a meltdown. Um, but, you know, this... I think that and even, you know, just a decade before that cuz the internet generation was really around 2005 a lot of kids were going into high school or junior high around 2005 and even um you know back, you know, years before that uh when I was you know going to high school when I was a, a child, you know, most I didn't I didn't know a lot of kids who worked um or who did really much of anything besides when they got home, you know, they were just kind of, you know, played video games um you know, obviously it wasn't internet connected, but, and there was still a little bit of the kind of freedom and rough play and just being a a dumb kid that kind of gives you the bumps and bruises that teach you how to be a, you know, how to lose and how to to grow up. But uh, it seems to me like we're seeing so many people who never grew up and they cannot imagine what it would be like, to be an adult where not you're not entitled to anything, You're not a child. You've, you know you've been told your whole life that you know you you're so special and that you're going to be a a superstar and you if you just had your own youtube channel you could be famous and look everybody can be famous and so i've got a million views or or whatever and you know life is supposed to be easy and life is like we're all supposed to be unique special snowflakes and get all the loving and everything in the world and then as soon as anything even slightly remotely doesn't go along that way it turns into this total massive meltdown and it you know that's why when i read still read about these these ongoing protests and riots i mean they they don't even look like like anything but a meltdown of a child like they're they're so melodramatic um it doesn't it it doesn't look like the behavior of like the hardened revolutionaries although i'm sure that many of them are play acting um and you know to become that because that's why you play is so that you can become you know some the what you're playing at uh but at this point they it really it just looks like a lot of uh individuals who who never grew up and and can't view the world in terms of anything but children and victims and that you that everyone deserves to be treated or is entitled to be um to be coddled it's it's such a it's such a massive. Uh, I won't say my it's such a it's, screw, it's so screwed up, um, but I you know that's what I think of when you're you're reading about the virtue signaling and everything because I, a lot of this I think happens on an unconscious on an unconscious level and it's you know I think it is a level of um, different developmental stages being kind of thwarted or not met or being. Um, uh, being overly sensitized to things because you didn't really get a, a, a thick enough skin, for whatever reason. Um, I know that that's just one dimension to this whole politically correct mentality, but I think that it's one that you can't be ignored because it's it's so widespread and it's it's so deeply ingrained in um, you know the generation that's coming up and a lot of the individuals who are who are doing this, a lot of the people who are getting. Into cancel culture and who are swarming on Twitter and and social media in order to you know take people out. I mean, a lot, a lot of them uh, have that. This has been their their life, and they don't really know much of anything else. They don't know how to be an adult. Is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, and just to look at the political situation in the U.S. for a moment, it's almost as though uh, there has been this harvest of um, of. Uh, what was the term you used Corey? this kind of um self-entitlement and uh and um this tendency towards victimhood that's been it's been created in schools and propagated in culture and because of the leaders that we have uh particularly in in the democratic party many of them not all of them it, they have given tacit permission because of their agendas to say you should feel this way and yeah. we're okay with you acting out like a child so this is a uh, i mean it's multi-level there's a lot going on here there are a lot of different dynamics and it is complex but it it's it's a it's not only this uh this grass movement cultural psychological development it's also this a political uh, movement that has been shaping the minds and the sensibilities of people for the past two decades and has become weaponized in the way that yeah. ISIS and Al Qaeda have become weaponized by the the U.S. as proxy forces in Syria. I mean, people don't even question why they think the way that they think, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are They are these automatons who are these uh, these extensions, these tentacles of political movements that are being used uh, basically in the service of accruing more power uh, for for leaders uh, and like you were saying before, Harrison, you know the a lot of these individuals who might otherwise have good tendencies and good intentions. Um, are are largely unaware of how they might be used to further a, an agenda along only to be dismissed and discarded at some later time and that's really a a one of the big tragedies of of all of this as well people don't realize that they are food for the moon that they are um, that they've become less human in 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 these political uh, goals, that they've become more mechanical, more reactionary, and uh, ultimately a danger not only to other people, but to themselves.
2: Mm-hmm. I, want,
0: I think one of, the important, one of the most important points that all this comes around to is this, uh, like you said, Ilan, it is that there is a group of well-intentioned people that are being used and they, they're unaware of it. Um, I want to read one last thing from this article and then give a a couple comments on it. So the authors write, Interestingly, the results indicate that although these attitudes are thought to reflect opposing ends of the traditional left versus right political political spectrum, those high in white identitarianism and politically correct authoritarianism are very similar in terms of their dark profile. So that's the point we already raised earlier, but they go on. It is possible, therefore, that dark triad traits do not influence left versus right political orientation in the same manner as the big five. That is, openness to experience and conscientiousness predict political left and political right political orientation, respectively, but rather influence the strategies that people use to achieve their ideological goals. For example, right and left-orientated individuals high in trait psychopathy might use similar aggressive means to achieve their goals, despite such methods being inconsistent with traditional, compassionate, left-oriented values. So, I think that's a very important point. And there's one thing that, um, that's kind of missing here, that's, uh, that needs to be kind of filled in. It's not just a matter of strategies. I think that's um, it's partially true. Like you will have um, so the basically what they're saying is that these specific dark triad traits like psychopathy, narci- narcissism, and Machiavellianism will affect the way in which a radical agenda is enacted, basically through kind of extremism and violence. And then kind of that's kind of obvious on the surface of things. It's kind of doesn't really take a take much to come to that conclusion. But there, when we get into psychopathy in particular, there's an another angle here that no one really brings up. <clears throat> this is kind of one of the main points that Lobachevsky um, repeatedly comes back to in his book, Political Ponerology, and it has to do with the nature of psychopathy. Because psychopathy, for instance, like, uh, psychopathy isn't a strategy or a just a way of doing things. It is a personality structure. As a, like, it's, it's considered a personality disorder. It is a rigid personality structure that determines that, uh, to a large degree, how an individual thinks, acts, behaves, and feels, or in the case of psychopathy, doesn't feel. Because psycho- psychopaths lack the, the depth and the emotional capacity that even kind of an average person does. They can't feel empathy. They can't feel uh, compassion. They can't feel um, um, any kind of remorse for what they do. Like, people are simply and only objects to them so that they can, they can murder and not feel a thing about it. They can kill hundreds of thousands of people and not feel a thing about it. They can laugh about it. They can have a good time doing it if they're sadists. But the thing that Lobachevsky points out is that, on top of all that, psychopaths feel like victims. That there is a, a victimhood at the, at the bottom of their activity in political endeavors that they feel like the world has wronged them. Because in a sense, it has. Like, you can see it from their point of view. They have a particular set of, um, let's say, desires, ways, strategies, ways they want to do things, things they want to do, things they want for themselves that society won't give them and can't give them because everyone else isn't a psychopath. Psychopaths basically want... Um, want the world. They want everyone to, to do things for them. They don't want to work for what they get. They want everything to be given them. Given them. In, in the workplace, a psychopath will use the work of others, manipulate in such a way that they will get the credit for other people's work. They will demean and um, eliminate people that are in their way for their like job success, for their promotions or whatever. They will use and abuse people in order to get what they want. Now, in a normal society, those things are frowned upon. People aren't um, like adulated and, pu- and put in such positions in ordinary life. I mean, there are exceptions, of course, always. But in ordinary life, that it doesn't work that way. People don't just worship you because you are you. You kind of have to, to work things, you work at things to get things in return. You have to earn respect. You have to earn people's um, trust and approval. Psychopaths want all of that. And not only that, they want to dominate and domineer um, other people. They basically want to be tyrants over the people around them. And they think they deserve it. So when they don't get that, when they see how psychopaths are treated in society, that is put in prison for being um, violent, you know, malevolent criminals who don't have anyone else's interests at heart but themselves they see that as a great injustice and so really from their perspective what they want is social justice for their kind for psychopaths they want to live in a world where they can do whatever they want and with no social repercussions Lobachevsky, his what I think is one of his most important points is that that is the motivation for their involvement in political movements they get involved in political movements particularly revolutionary movements in order to turn the social structure upside down to tear it down so that they are now in the position where they're at the top of the food chain where nothing can be done against them where they can do whatever they want because they are in control they own the police they own the governments they are the government and that this is the this is the process and the structure that Happens like I was describing in in Mao's China, with this um, this distillation process, this this selection and uh, um, an elimination process, where it is further refined to the point where you know any 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 psychopath psychopath on the outskirts of the of that power structure can now find a place within it, as all of the moderate people, as all of the sane people, the people with common sense are eliminated everyone, every psychopath can find their place in that position. And that final social structure that um, results is what Lobachevsky calls a pathocracy, where at every level of the social structure, every important um, position of authority is occupied by a psychopath or a person with a, with a, a related um, personality, uh, personality disorder. So what the, what the psychopaths want on both sides of the spectrum, that's what they want. And the their beliefs, their politically correct beliefs, are incidental. I, don't, I wouldn't go so far as to say they're totally incidental because I don't know. It could be that um, that among psychopaths you can have like the natural kind of big five aspects that that will actually put um, like a psychopathic person either more to the left or more to the right, and that might determine which, um, which side of the spectrum they're on. But I mean, psychopaths are notorious um, fakers. They're they're actors. They 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 put on performances for people in order to get what what they want. They they wear what what uh, Hervé Kleckley called a mask of sanity. So I wouldn't be surprised if a lot, maybe not necessarily all. Again, I don't know. If a lot of psychopaths in the politically correct, authoritarian, and even white identitarian movements um, don't even sincerely believe the rhetoric that they espouse, that they that they spout. That they are simply using that as an ideological cover, um, in order to to um, to make use of the political capital that that movement mm-hmm. can gain in order right. to get power. Yeah. So those these are literally the wolves in sheep sheep's clothing, wearing the 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 garb of politically correct beliefs in order to rise to the top, where they can then control and dominate everyone, even the even their supposed uh, revolutionary comrades that apparently and supposedly believe the same things they do.
1: Mm -hmm. And they do eat their own. Mm -hmm. You know, how many stories have we read about uh, individuals in newspaper uh, offices or uh, various um, establishments who are, uh, or espouse liberal uh, sentiments, who've had their businesses destroyed Uh, You know, how many how many minorities um, who these people are uh, ostensibly out there to protect and to uh, and to serve? um, How many of their their apartment buildings and establishments have been burned down? Uh, This is something that we're seeing on a regular basis to the point where people are, you know, putting. Uh, two by fours or or plywood on their establishments with the with the messages you know minority here or you know uh, pro- progressive institution or whatever uh, as a as a kind of way to offset the attack uh, which is not going to work because mm-hmm. because this anger is uh, this rage um, is 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 kind of blind it just strikes out at anything. Uh, in a in an infantile uh, attempt to assert its its power over people and to uh, to make its will known and and asserted through uh, through the land, so uh, quite a phenomenon we're seeing, and I think things are getting uh, quite a bit worse, uh, you know, as time goes on. But by the same token, you do have moderate groups coming out in the U.S. Uh, and in Europe, too, who've come out and who are outspoken uh, against a lot of what we're seeing. And I think that movement is is going to show some prominence as well. And not necessarily a, a radical right reaction, as I was uh, talking about before, but a kind of uh, response from the normies, from from people who... You know see how dangerous and and pathological a lot of a lot of these movements are
0: I wanted to respond to one th- yeah one thing that you said about the the rage, the kind of blind rage. I think it's there's another aspect to that. I think there is an aspect of blind rage, but I think there's also an aspect of um, calculation to to what's going on. And this I would ascribe to the actual kind of more psychopathic wing of the, of the far left that actually to some extent knows what they're doing and understands the, um, the art of revolutionary warfare. They understand that you have to go after the people that proclaim to be progressives, you know, that are boarding up their business saying, no, we agree with you. Don't, don't torch us. Um, that doesn't matter. You have to go after those kind of people too because the purpose isn't, again, it isn't totally in line with what the beliefs, like the, what the the normal logic of the belief system would suggest to be the goals. There are meta-goals like over and above those sub-goals and the, one of the main goals of a revolutionary movement inspired by a radical psychopathic extreme on either end of the political spectrum is terror. And that is the means of instilling terror is is that you don't know where it's coming from you you you, you th- might think that you believe that you agree but you might still get you might still be a victim of the the violence of the of the radicals on either end of the political spectrum and that sends a message to everyone else that no one is safe mm-hmm. and that's the that's an essential feature of a pathocratic movement is is the use of terror to, um to completely like discombobulate a person's mind and, and autonomic nervous system to put them in a state going back to our previous show, a state of like dorsal vagal activation where they can't do anything. Because they are essentially in a in, a, in, a, in a, an inner lockdown state, their autonomic nervous system is on lockdown. What can they do? Because because reality stops making sense. Mm-hmm. It's like th- th- things are supposed to happen in a certain way, right? Like the Joker says in, in you know Dark Knight Returns, whatever, uh, that things are supposed to happen in a certain way, and when they don't, when th- when the normal categ- categories of like perception and behavior and cause and effect break down then you're thrown into a world of total chaos where you don't know what works. You don't know what action will save you. And that shuts you down. That's the, uh, that's also related to the paranoia switch that Martha Stout talks about in her book. It's like that use of, of terror and fear has an effect on your very physiology that makes you then incapable of standing up against what is happening. And it then makes it easier for a radical revolutionary group to to dominate and to take over and that's why and it works well it works because they know it works and 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 they know it works and therefore that's what they do it it is instrumental it is um calculated it is a type of instrumental aggression which is one way of categorizing the the type of aggression that psychopaths use it's not necessarily reactive they don't just uh get a like blow up in a heat of uh in a in an explosion of like reactive anger to what someone does, they're right. instrumental about it. They're manipulative about it. They're like, okay, if I scream at this person for no reason or for this reason or say it's for this reason, it'll have this effect on them. They will react this way emotionally, which I think is funny because I don't really understand why they react that way because I don't, but I know it works. I know it's an effective way of manipulating a person. I know if I do this, this, and this, that they will get into such a state where they will do what I want them to do. Mm-hmm. And that's really all—all all aggression or violence is for a psychopath. It's strictly um, instrumental. It's like, oh, if I do this, I get what I want. You know, it's like it's, so. It's the total opposite of the of someone more of a traditional leftist orientation who might say, oh, if I'm nice to this person, they might do something nice for me. Well, um, and they might be like totally genuine about it. Well, it's the same thing for a psychopath, but on like the kind of like bizarro world version of the planet. If I'm nice to this person, if I pretend to be nice, um, I might get what I want. And if not, I can just totally destroy this person and ruin their life. Doesn't matter to me. Either way, I might get what I want. Um, Then you add sadism on top of that, and that's a whole other story because uh, I don't think all psychopaths are sadists. They don't all enjoy hurting other people. Um, It's just, like I said, it's just. That's just the way they get what they want. But there are sadists who actually enjoy it. And oftentimes this is what uh, um, I'm pretty sure... I can't remember if there's been uh, studies on this or not. I think there have been about people who are actually torturers, like in war zones, that uh, the people who actually take on the role and the job of torturing other people are often sadists. They often enjoy doing it. Um, And that's, and that's an aspect of serial killing as well. Um, a lot of serial killers actually enjoy what they do, like we did that show on Israel Keys. And basically that I'll just want to use that point as a final uh, final point to reinforce what I said earlier about the importance of understanding the actual psychopathic mindset. is that that's the reason that they feel um, jilted and scorned by society and hard done by, because you take a guy like Israel Keys, that's the kind of epitome uh and the like the Timus the uh essence. The essence of like psychopathy in its worst form is a guy like Israel Keys. What he would like is nothing more than to live in a world where no one could get him. He didn't have to hide. Um he could just rape, kill, torture, mutilate, and get away with it. And at on a certain level, that is what all psychopaths involved in politics want to a certain degree you know not to that kind of like that's almost like a cartoonish version of it but there are people like Israel keys mm-hmm. and um, and psychopaths no matter how different they are whether they're serial killers or not they all have that same mindset that same psychology and so those are the kind of people that are behind um, and inst- and instrumental to or no um, inspirational to Um, extreme and radical political movements those are the people running them Um, those are the people inspiring the 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 actions and inspiring the course of events and the the trajectory of those political movements Mm -hmm. and so just to reiterate what you were saying Ilan if or uh, maybe it was Corey if the politically correct liberals who are negatively correlated with psychopathy were to ever understand that they would they would be horrified unfortunately it doesn't you know it's hard to see how they can be um with such a kind of humans are so um so hard it's hard to change our minds when we have like uh, political beliefs right we we tend to we tend to make excuses for the people on our side right because they're on our side, you find this in all in all groups. All you
1: know, there's a lapse of knowledge right. or awareness of how this actually works. Yeah.
0: So, but who knows? Maybe if, maybe like Lobachevsky said, if people were to just be made aware of this and to actually just understand it to some degree, maybe that would have a, an effect, um, kind of like a, a mind vaccine. Um, it might. So who knows? It might for some people. But unless, do you have any final thoughts before we end for today?
1: Take your damn mind vaccine. Yes, take that mind vaccine. <laughs> yes, th- th- this is uh, really good information uh, to take with us going forward as we um, as we see these layers upon layers of uh, trauma that a lot of people are experiencing at the hands of you know uh, state and local leaders telling you to to wear masks and to be content with staying home and socially distancing. Obviously that's one layer of it. Then there's all this mass trauma that people are experiencing in the form of, of riots of being told that they should take the knee, uh, lest they be considered, uh, less than good people. Uh, we have the presidential election coming up. We have, uh, an economy that's, that's teetering on the absolute edge of oblivion here before it's, transformed magically into something uh more insidious and um and controlling than than uh we, we we can imagine i mean there are layers and layers here that uh we'd all do well to think about and consider uh and try and help mitigate for ourselves as we go forward did you want to add something cory no
2: all right nope that was that was well said
1: all right. Well then, um, check out the paper.
0: Check out our previous shows on political ponderology. and check out the show we just did on the Gurdjieff exercises, polyvagal theory, and first sight theory. Because another way of inoculating yourself against the the terror of radical political ideologies is to treat your autonomic service, automatic, <laughs> autonomic <laughs> nervous system, um, well, so that you you know, that you aren't put into that state of, lo- of, in- of inner lockdown to the point where you can't do anything. Basically, you know, be critical minded, have control over your own reactions to what is um, essentially a form of psychological terrorism. So uh, with that said, uh, have fun, get that polyvagal system going as it should, and take care. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.